This episode is presented by NCSEA's members. For over 40 years, North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association has committed to an energy economy and system that is clean, resilient, affordable, and accessible to all North Carolinians. Together, we launched North Carolina to number two in the nation for installed solar, number four for electric vehicle charging stations per capita, and number three in the Southeast for announced and commissioned energy storage. Join us on October 10th at NCSEA's Powering Our Future Gala for an evening of food, drinks, and dancing as we look back on the achievements of the last 40 years and look ahead at our big plans for the future. To learn more, visit energync.org gala. Hello, and welcome to the Squeaky Clean Energy Podcast, brought to you by North Carolina Sustainable Energy Association. I'm your host, Ben Stockdale. Three, two, one. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you all for being here today. Hello, squeaky clean listeners. We have an awesome episode for you, focusing on clean energy commitments from major banks and how they are meeting these aggressive goals. I'll be taking you to the town of Edenton in eastern North Carolina for the ribbon-cutting ceremony of Fifth Third Bank's brand new solar farm. This is a massive 80-megawatt solar farm that will provide Fifth Third with 100% of their energy needs. I interviewed Greg Carmichael, the president and CEO of Fifth Third Bank, NC Department of Environmental Quality Secretary Michael Regan, and got audio from State Senator Bob Steinberg and State Representative Howard Hunter. In our main feature, I sit down with the head of global sustainability for J.P. Morgan Chase, Sam Stockdale. And yes, we are related. First, let's start with our policy update. The conference committee process is underway for Senate Bill 559, Duke's rate hike bill, which includes securitization and multi-year rate plans. If you want to learn more about Senate Bill 559, go check out our first Squeaky Clean episode, where we take a deep dive into this bad legislation. The conferees comprise House and Senate leaders as well as bill sponsors, and we have a very close watch on this bill. Given what happened with the recent budget override, anything could happen with this bill. In other news, the Department of Environmental Quality released its 136-page draft clean energy plan, which details the paths that North Carolina can take to achieve Governor Cooper's goals of achieving 40% emissions reductions, putting 80,000 zero-emissions vehicles on the road, and reducing energy usage in state-owned buildings by 40%, all by 2025. The initiatives and policies laid out in the draft plan include utility regulatory reform, solar rebates, and increasing the renewable energy portfolio standard. NCSEA feels good about this report and has filed comments explaining that many of the policies and initiatives laid out in the plan could be made as metrics in a performance-based regulatory framework where the utility is incentivized for certain performance metrics, which could range from expediting the interconnection of renewable energy projects to increasing energy efficiency. 
The comment period has since closed, and the final report is to be submitted to Governor Cooper by October 1st. Once the report is finalized, we hope to take a deep dive on Squeaky Clean. I'm in Edenton, North Carolina for the ribbon cutting ceremony of the Allender Holloman Solar Farm, which was built for Fifth Third Bank. Fifth Third Bank is the first publicly traded company worldwide and first U.S. bank and Fortune 500 company to sign a contract leading to 100% renewable energy through solar power. The project uses solar energy to generate as much power as Fifth Third uses in a year and enabling it to meet its 100% renewable power goal three years ahead of schedule. The power purchase agreement enabled the construction of the 80 megawatt solar project that generates approximately 202,000 megawatt hours per year of electricity to help avoid 143,000 metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions per year. This is the equivalent to the annual emissions for more than 21,000 homes or 30,000 passenger vehicles. It's tied for the second largest solar installation in North Carolina, and the contract will lead to approximately 1,000 jobs during construction and an approximated $200 million of investment in North Carolina. Without further ado, let's hear from Senator Bob Steinberg and Representative Howard Hunter on this historic project. Senator Steinberg is talking about the economic impact of projects like these in his district. Let's hear what he has to say. Northeastern North Carolina, and a lot of those counties are Tier 1 counties, which means that uh, they have had to struggle for a number of years now since the textile industry uh, exited North Carolina for uh, points elsewhere. And so developments like this present an opportunity for us to be able to recapture some of what was lost. And you know, I hear a lot of talk about the bank, and the bank is now the first bank, I guess, to be 100% uh, renewable, and that is absolutely fantastic. But I want to share this with you that some folks may not be aware of, and that is that about 65 of the Fortune 100 companies, 65 of the Fortune 100 companies have made a commitment to be 100% renewable by the year 2027, and that is just around the corner. So I think it's very, very important that uh, states like North Carolina continue to lead the way in the development of renewable energy so that we can be a beacon for economic development. And so folks who are powering these companies, and I put powering in quotes, uh, powering these companies know that we are indeed friendly, environmentally friendly, and we are moving in this direction and going to continue to do so. Uh, the North Carolina legislature, sometimes it's been a bit of a bumpy road, but I think we are now uh, past the point of no return. Renewable energy is here. It's here to stay. The naysayers can continue doing what they do, but uh, it's very, very obvious looking at any kind of polling data that is available that uh, conservatives, moderates, and liberals alike have committed to renewable energy moving forward. So this indeed is a great day for Hertford County, uh, for Northeastern North Carolina, and for the entire state as well as the nation. So God bless you all, and uh, great to be with you today on such an historic occasion. Thank you. Thank you, Senator.
Next up, Representative Howard Hunter. Good afternoon. I bring you greetings from the hardest working side in the chamber, the North Carolina House. I'm just joking, Bob. We know you work hard, too. Thank you for the opportunity to participate in this exciting event today. When I heard about the Orlando Holloman project, this solar facility groundbreaking, I wanted to be here to say a few words about this momentous project for Hereford County and to say thank you to Kenny and Sun Energy One for their commitment to our region. In recent years, Sun Energy One has built the Lambda 42 and River Road solar facilities, which has provided hundreds of jobs in Hereford County and surrounding counties. The Lambda Holloman facility is significantly larger that resulted in approximately 1,000 jobs. This project has brought much needed jobs to the region. And I see Commissioner Andre Lassiter, who is smiling. All of our residents of Hereford County should be smiling as well. This project has also increased Hereford County's tax base, which keeps the cost of our taxes lower. Many of our local businesses, including hotels, restaurants, hardware stores, construction stores, and gas stations, have seen increased revenues due to this project. Sun Energy One has been a great contributor to Hereford County and has always been supportive of each community in which they work. I'm really excited about this project and I wanted to thank Sun Energy One and Fifth Third Bank for making this happen again and for the support of Hereford County. Kenny and Sun Energy One, congratulations on your, on your groundbreaking and on behalf of Hereford County, we'd like to say thank you. Michael Regan, I'm the Secretary for the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality. Thank you so much for joining us today. What does this mean today, this unveiling of this huge project in North Carolina? What does it mean both for the environment and for the economy of North Carolina? You know, it's a tremendous opportunity to highlight what Governor Cooper and I have been saying from day one, which is environmental protection and economic prosperity are not mutually exclusive, but they go hand in hand. And what you have here is a big major bank committing to 100% renewable energy and investing in that in one of our rural counties in eastern North Carolina. This is great for economic development, it's great for the environment, and it's great to see that technology and markets are leading the way. Must be a busy time for you right now. You just came out with the draft clean energy plan. It was recently released. Can you talk about some key takeaways from that report that you want to tell our listeners? You know, the report is significant. We held um, over 18 events, workshops, listening sessions all across the state um, with sort of major contributors from the general public, academic institutions, the business community. You know, you name them, they were there. Over 800 comments. And we have a consensus report that essentially says there are some policy and regulatory changes that the state of North Carolina needs if we are to continue to encourage investments like today. And so we put it out for comment and we encourage people to read it, look through it, and you will see that the markets and technology are driving a lot, but there is an appropriate role of government, that being the legislature, the executive branch, and our utilities commission. And so we're highlighting what roles each of us play in order to 
to, to spur the economy and drive environmental protection in the way that we want it to be. I've read the plan. It was great. And what I really appreciated in it was the fact that a lot of the initiatives that you talked about could be handled with utility regulatory reform. And I think that that was one of the big points of the plan that it pointed out was the need for new rate-making tools, the need for new re regulatory utility reform. Can you talk about the importance of regulatory changes or, you know, what that would take? You talk about a stakeholder process to convene. Can you talk about the role of utility regulatory reform within the clean energy plan? Absolutely. You know, what, what we've uh, suggested in the plan really discusses the types of incentives that we need. So the utilities in this state need different incentives to change their behavior and or expedite certain investments into clean energy. So the rate structure and rate making is a huge component of that. And if we can come to some agreements on what being properly incentivized looks like, then the Public Utilities Commission can then take that and do the thorough analysis that they would normally do, but do it with the understanding that it is the general consensus of the state that they're moving in a direction that the state wants to move in. And, and this is why piecemeal approaches like uh, Senate Bill 559 are so premature because they are just a small component of what all of North Carolina is looking for. We need to build on the momentum that we have now. We need to work in a very consensus-oriented fashion. We should not move things that are only appealing to one party when you've got multiple stakeholders at the table. And so we believe the clean energy plan is reflective of that comprehensive, thorough analysis that will keep North Carolina globally competitive. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Secretary Regan. It's so nice to meet you. We're a big fan on the show, and uh, we appreciate you being on it. Well, we appreciate all that you're doing as well to educate our folks out here. Thank you. Thank you. Greg Carmichael, Chairman, President, and CEO of Fifth Third Bank. Well, congratulations. This is a very exciting day for Fifth Third, for North Carolina, for businesses in general to see how people are reaching their 100% renewable energy commitments. How did you initially respond to the 100% renewable energy commitment, and, and what were those first steps that you took? And first off, we wanted to set goals that were, that were very, very aggressive, um, and it would make a difference, quite frankly, in, our, in the environment. And there's nothing more important than taking care of our environment um, as well as taking care of our employees and our customers. So we, we established five main sustainable goals that we put in place. One of those was to be 100% renewable energy by year 2022. And we accomplished that with this single facility this year. Um, that's extremely important, in, in reducing uh, greenhouse gas emissions and so forth. So a part of our commitment was to get that done. Quite frankly, when it was brought to me, I wasn't sure how that would work, what that would actually look like, could we actually get it done, I got to tell you, they've exceeded all my expectations. And this facility is just amazing to see what's come out of the ground here in a very, very short amount of time and the contribution it's going to make to the energy grid um, and to our planet. So it's been fantastic. And why did Fifth Third make the commitment? Why is it important to your customers? Is it, is it important to the company? I think every corporation in America has to be responsible for not just the shareholders, okay, but the communities okay, in the environment. We really believe that wholeheartedly. We were the first bank. We just moved our minimum wage from $15 to $18. We were the first bank to go from $12 to $15 now for our hourly employee, which is a big part of our workforce. All right? This is just another example of how we give back and how we take care of the environment. So it's very important to us. So taking care of the shores is important. Taking care of our employees is important. Taking care of the environment is important. And ultimately, taking care of our customers. Uh, we can't, it's not one-dimensional. It's multidimensional, and this is a part of that exercise and an important part of what we're here about. 
What would you say to businesses or corporations that are thinking about making 100% renewable commitments or have already done it and uh, haven't met that goal yet? You know, I would tell you, be aggressive, all right? Um, be resilient, and uh, there's going to be some challenges to get it done. Um, but when you think about the outcomes that you're going to achieve once you get it complete and the value that's going to create long-term for your corporation and the good it's going to do for the environment, I would never step back from it. I continue to move forward as fast as you can. What's next for Fifth Third? We're gonna. We got other. We got three other sustainability goals we're going after. We want to reduce your water usage, waste, and so forth. So we're gonna make all that happen. Um, we want to be a leader in this area and uh, be an example for other corporations. Um, if we can do it, other corporations can do it. So part of being a leader is leading the way. Mr. Carmichael, thank you so much for being on the show. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Our guest today is the Vice President and Head of Global Sustainability Operations at J.P. Morgan Chase, the largest bank in the U.S. and the fourth largest tenant in the world. He oversees a global real estate portfolio of around 7,000 properties in 63 countries with an annual utility spend of $250 million and management of two terawatt hours of annual energy use. He's responsible for the development of J.P. Morgan Chase's 2020 operational sustainability strategy, development of over 600 million on-site distributed energy generation projects, and principal energy investments within J.P. Morgan Chase's corporate real estate footprint, as well as overseeing corporate strategy with respect to all energy and operational sustainability initiatives globally. Prior to joining J.P. Morgan Chase, he was Director of Portfolio Operations at Tishman Spire, where he managed a 12 million square foot portfolio of over 20 Class A iconic commercial properties and directly contributed over 30 million in asset value through dispositions. So, friends of the pod, let's give a squeaky clean welcome to today's guest and my cousin, Sam Stockdale. Sam, welcome to the show, cuz. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, and uh, you know, I was I was thinking about our family a little bit. wasn't Wasn't uh, my uncle, your dad, Grant? Didn't he have like an energy TV show or something like that? I think my dad was telling me about that. He, he did. Yeah, Energy Policy TV. Yeah, it was. Uh, he was also actually an occasional guest on a guy a show called The White House Chronicles. So he. Uh, he liked to think of himself as a, as an expert, but he was uh, he dabbled he dabbled in the energy space. We can we can definitely say that. <gasps> yeah, well, it must run in the family then. That's funny. I didn't even I didn't I didn't realize that until I'd already started the podcast, and my dad was like, "Yeah, you know, your uncle had a had an energy show," and I was like, "No way!" So, uh, yeah. God, I haven't thought about that in a long time. That's great. We'll have to break out some of those at the next reunion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this conversation. We're really looking forward to this. JP Morgan has quite the history of commitment of carbon reduction and clean energy. In 2005, you developed and adopted the environmental and social risk policy, which encourages clients to develop carbon mitigation plans that includes measurement and disclosure of greenhouse gas emissions, as well as plans to reduce or offset them. In a financial industry first, you internalize carbon pollution 
solution for power sector projects by integrating the financial cost of greenhouse gas emissions into your analysis. And in 2016, you committed that you will no longer provide financing to the development of greenfield coal mines. And a year later, you committed again to sourcing renewable energy for 100% of your global power needs by 2020. That is a huge commitment because your cumulative square footage, I looked it up, covers about 75 million square feet, which is for our listeners, that's 27 times the square footage of the entire office space at the Empire State Building. So needless to say, you must be very busy managing all this. But let's start with the 100% clean energy commitment. What was the impetus for that commitment? Well, so um, we can actually even even go back before that because you know everything at a at any large Fortune 500 company is going to have tiered commitments, and and you're absolutely right from an ESG perspective on the on the actual banking side. There's been a lot of good progress in maintaining policies that that speak to the larger culture of of the firm here at J.P. Morgan, which is always do the right thing, um, you know, absolute integrity at all times, and 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 we really live that in a lot of ways. Um, and while I can't necessarily speak to the moratorium on, on investments in coal and, and some of the, the, the really financing sides, because that's not the part of the firm where I sit, um, I can speak to our own carbon strategy within the operational footprint of the firm. And I'm, I'm proud to say that um, our, our first level public commitment to reduce our own carbon footprint or our greenhouse gas emissions by 50% from our 2005 levels by 2020, we, we already achieved it. We hit it last year. So we've already cut our total global emissions in half while maintaining a, a constant um, total square footage of our portfolio um, in over 60 countries um, and also a, a pretty consistent headcount at around that 250,000 um, employee mark. So so even before we stepped into the renewable space, you know, we were all working together in my line of business in concert to achieve that original goal. And, and, and that was, that was a, a really large undertaking and we're, I'm happy to have been here to be able to take it. You know, I can't, I can't really, I'd love to be able to, to take ownership of it, but, <laughs> you know, I, I can say that maybe I helped to take it over, you know, the, the, from the five yard line to the, to the end zone. But, um, but that really, I think, because we got so close on the carbon goal from an admission standpoint, I think our leadership um, and our operating committee got a little more comfortable with, with making this renewable energy goal, making sure that we had the team in place that knew what we were doing, that we had the right partners all over the firm in our sustainable finance group. We've got a great um, team on that side um, and also in the investment side um, to really try and, you know, crack this nut on the kind of scale that you mentioned, because it is, it is immense. I've got 5,000 Chase Bank branches. We have 28 data centers, um, you know, and we're, we're in 60 countries. So it's, you know, it's a, it's quite the nut to crack for sure. Yeah. And, and so what were some of the things you were doing to achieve those carbon reduction goals? So I'm, for us here, and I'll, I'll speak specifically to the U.S. plan, uh, and, I'll, and I'll speak pretty broadly, and then we'll, we can go as deep as, as deep as I can, as deep as you'd like. But for us, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of corporate real estate is, is, is just that. And when you bring in people like the folks on my team, uh, led by the gentleman Mike Norton, uh, who, I, who I mentioned earlier, and, you know, we, we all came from the owner-operator world. So we all were trained to think like landlords. And when you think like a landlord, you think like it, it's your house. You know, how would you invest in infrastructure to bring down your energy bill in your home? You know, so we, that's, that's how we really tried to approach this. And so the first thing we did was we ran the 
I would say arguably one of the largest energy efficiency campaigns uh, of any corporate uh, company in the world. And what that means is we, we started with LEDs and we did the largest LED deal done, or the LED deal that was ever undertaken in partnership with GE. And we retrofitted 5,000 Chase Bank branches with LEDs. And that was, you know, in the hundred, over $150 million. I think the, the second largest, the second next biggest LED deal was either, I, can't, I think it was Home Depot and we were five times bigger than them. You know, and this is one of these initiatives that we said, we're gonna, we're gonna do all the LEDs and we're gonna do it in one year and we're gonna transform the energy landscape in the Chase Bank branch because that's about 20% of your load in a, in a small retail um, setting. And everyone said, you're crazy, you won't be able to get it done. And you know, a year and a half later, they they were all done and it was, a, it was a smash, you know, hit success. And so having that success allowed us to really take the next step and, and build a lot, of, a lot of trust across the firm that, that we can execute these large enterprise level programs. So where we went from there, we started with the LEDs, then we looked at building management systems, we looked at large uh, contracts on, on drives, you know, a lot of these kind of quick, uh, quick wins, low cost solutions that can have a pretty meaningful effect on your energy consumption and demand um, in a relatively short amount of time. And so you can't really address renewable energy infrastructure or talk about long dated financial energy instruments like PPAs until you can right size your energy portfolio. And so that was the first step that we undertook for our whole sustainability strategy is what is that right KWH per square foot for the different property types across our portfolio. So benchmarking, I think, is extremely important when you undertake a large a large corporate strategy like this. And so what do you think are some policies that states can implement to make it easier for companies like JP Morgan to invest in clean energy and source clean energy for themselves? Yeah, that, that, I love that. That's a great question. So actually, I, I recently sat down with, um, with Commissioner McLean, the, the tax commissioner for, for the state of Ohio. And, and the reason why, why I went there, and I, and I went there with our, our, our government relations folks and some other um, tax folks within the JP Morgan's organization, was because some states will they'll charge you a real estate tax increase, just like you would if you improve your property, which is which is reasonable under normal circumstances, right? But when you have a when you have an, a revenue generating asset that's being built only because of the uh, of the of the NOI or or the or the benefit um, or the, the cost reduction, then that possible tax exposure, whether it be real property tax exposure or personal property tax exposure, can you know. It can it can end up having the opposite effect of making or resulting in companies not installing that otherwise renewable capacity, and so what I did was I went out to um, to Ohio and we sat down and said, hey, you know, you should really think about making on-site uh, renewable energy generation tax exempt because a lot of other states do it, California, Arizona, um, a handful of others, and it's a great incentive without providing any direct financing through the state for companies like JP Morgan or, or any other company in the state to be able to invest in and take advantage of renewable energy in, within their own operations and not be penalized for on the back end through increased taxes. And so I think that's that's a really simple way for, for states and governments to make an impact. I think, I think most residential already is tax exempt, um, but on the larger scale stuff that, that really made a difference for us and, and we were really happy with that result. What are you most excited about right now, Sam? I am I am most excited about storage. Um, 
I think I, you know, sadly, I, I have not done a lot of storage projects just because I think the national electric codes and, and the policy around it is still a little bit of an unknown. And, and I think that um, National Fire Protection Association, NFPA and, and, and NEC and some of these kind of larger bodies don't know how to treat fire suppression on, on storage. It makes it difficult to deploy in my environment, but it's going to be a game changer. You know, and, and last year, FERC had, uh, had, had come out with some, some, interesting, some interesting stuff on, on allowing for large utility scale storage devices on, on the grid. You know, and at the end of the day, power is tricky for, and I'll, I'll put this in kind of in layman's terms, because remember, power can't be stored. It always has to be balanced. So power has to be scheduled into the grid uh, to match demand for every time you turn on a light switch. So when you put in storage and you no longer have to have dirty power plants on sitting idle to meet those times when the energy stress in the grid is at its very, very highest, the whole cost of the energy infrastructure system comes down because you can call on that battery to discharge energy um, in some of those peak demand moments. And so when that happens, I, th- I think we're really gonna we're really gonna have a, a massive swing and a massive change in in both how how energy infrastructure interacts with with, you know, with itself, um, both from a, a decentralized standpoint and, and also just from a a, a from cost of, or a carbon standpoint. You know when we can really start um, decommissioning some of these older, dirtier power plants. That, that I, I should say we need them. We need them to be able to come online to meet those highest moments. So. We're we're getting there. We're getting there. But I think that I'm I'm excited for I'm excited for stores to really to really pick up some steam and, and become utility scale and make a large difference. I think you're right. I think you're right, Sam. And uh, I I think this is a great conversation. You know, we talked a lot about J.P. Morgan, but I think you have a really interesting perspective coming from not only the building operations background but the finance background too. I think that's just so important when you're talking about funding renewable energy projects and. Can you talk a little bit about as we're as we're closing out here? Can you talk a little bit about J.P. Morgan's finance commitment to clean energy? Absolutely. You know, so so right now, as it stands, the firm has has dual sustainability commitments, and, and the first is what we've been talking about, the 100% renewable by 2020. But then we have the the larger of the two, and and I should say, really, the, probably the, the more important one is is the um, facilitating 200 billion dollars of clean financing um, by 2025, and. And the reason, and these, these two commitments being staggered is, is by design, right? We want to be able to achieve this, achieve it in the right manner or fashion, um, and then hopefully guide the clients of the firm to, to, you know, to either use our experience as, as a lessons learned and, and do better or try to use us as, you know, as a, a bit of a compass for how we're able to do what we did. But, um, but right now, I, I think we're almost even halfway there. So we're ahead of schedule, and, and we've had some huge wins. We, um, we took Bloom Energy public. Um, just recently, last fall, we did the IPO for Dong Energy, the big, um, the big wind, uh, wind, uh, wind farm company or wind turbine company. Um, you know, we we did the green bond for for Apple, um, or we are partners on the green bond for Apple. Uh, they used to build their Cupertino campus a couple of years ago. So, you know, these are all, you know, these are all billion dollar scale financing commitments, and it, the the focus and the attention internally on this on this targeted approach to financing either new um, startups or companies that are that are just you know incubating or, or the larger ones that are trying to make the, make the next step like the blooms um, is is pretty is pretty incredible and so we're forging ahead um, we have strategic investments um, in our firm too they're always looking at um, smaller firms that have great ideas in this space um, 
you know, and trying to trying to help them and incubate them. And we have a couple of fintech, um, almost startup atmosphere um, things going on here that that are that are looking at a lot of these more progressive technologies. And and we we want to play a role. We want to play a role, large and small. And I think that um, so far we're 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 following through on that promise. So it's it's pretty great, pretty exciting. Wow. Yeah, that is exciting. And uh, thanks for the work that you're doing, Sam. I really appreciate it. You're doing good work out there in New York. I don't know if you know this, but uh, as we're currently recording, while you may be sitting in uh, a very sleek office in Midtown Manhattan, I am sitting in a very crowded storage room in my office <laughs> under, under 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 a tablecloth. Uh, so... That's that's what I that's that's my commitment to getting good audio quality. So I, I uh, there you go there you go. Well, well, you'd be disappointed if you saw my office. It's not it's not that sleek. It's not that sleek. It's it's better to be humble than uh, and get this kind of stuff done. <laughs> right on, right on. Well, thanks for being on the show, Sam. You were an awesome guest. You're an even better cousin. I really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. This is this was great. I'll come back anytime. Awesome. Hope I didn't bore you to death. <laughs> ah, no, our <laughs> listeners our listeners love this kind of stuff. Good deal. Well, there you have it, folks. The ninth episode of the Squeaky Clean Energy podcast, covering all things clean energy. I want to invite you again to NCSEA's Powering Our Future Gala, where we will celebrate the advances made in NCSEA's 40 years of operation and enjoy a night of food, drinks, and dancing. For more information, visit energync.org gala. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next Squeaky Clean episode and have a great day.